and he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Good morning, Harvest Church. My name is Pastor Matt, and I am excited to open God's Word here with you this morning. We are in our second week of our sermon series called Encountering Christ where we look at New Testament examples of, of people who, who came across Christ during his, his earthly ministry and, and just seeing what results when we genuinely encounter Christ, what happens in our lives. Last week, we, we got a chance to discuss the woman at the well. It was, it was a woman who was avoiding people caught in a, in a hard season, entangled, and yet Christ offered her this, this type of living water, that personally transformed her inwardly and then externally started to transform the people that were around her. And we see how in that moment that Christ encountered not just changed her, but it changed the towns that were around her. And today we're going to look at a different type of Christ encounter. Sometimes in the church we, we can idolize these huge, beautiful, transformational videos We've seen them often where we'll put a couple on the screen and they'll go, man, my life was a train wreck before Christ. And now that I've met Christ, my life has changed. It's transformed. It's amazing. And I say, praise God to, that, to those stories. Amen. But that's not every single story. And sometimes when we just idolize the, the, the big, huge change, um, sometimes when we experience some other types of encounters with Christ or other believers, and, and, and you'll see sometimes when people genuinely encounter Christ, not only are they not changed, sometimes they walk away sad. And so you already heard the passage read to you. We're going to be in Mark chapter 10. And this is a story of the rich young ruler, a, a man who is, is seeking, is searching, and he's a, he has this conversation with Christ. And since you already heard the passage read to you, we're just going to start breaking this down verse by verse and seeing and kind of autopsying, man, what happens? Why does one person encounter Christ and, and they're changed? And why does another person encounter Christ and they walk away sad? and untransformed. So you start to see this dialogue. It's, it starts in verse 17 in Mark chapter 10. Look at it with me. And, and, and as he, Christ, was setting on his journey, a, a man uh, ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Look, look, look at how this guy approaches Christ in verse 17. He literally runs up to Christ and, and kneels down before him. He isn't just kind of randomly walking and, oh, there's Christ. Would you look at that? No, he's seeking after Christ. He runs up to him and he kneels before him in this, in this submissive spirit. And, and he asks Christ a very interesting question right off of the bat. Good teacher, what must I do 
to inherit eternal life. You see, in the verses leading up to this story, the rich young man, just in verses 13 through 16, it's, it's a passage of like, let the children come to me in this childlike faith. And now there's this rich young man who's coming up to Christ going, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Right off the bat, he's encountering Christ, but he starts with, it's a question that maybe has a good intent, but it's a question with a wrong motive. Because right off the bat, he goes up to Christ and is going, what must I do? And Christ is about to take this question and completely change the tone. He's about to take this question and really start to expose the man's heart behind it. Because the man is asking a performance-based question. What must I do to inherit, the, inherit internal life? What must I do in order to obtain this? And Christ really is about to start pushing in. It's found in verse 18. Look with me to the word. In verse 18, he goes, And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You see, in, in this verse, what Christ is doing is he's creating a vertical reference to what is good. He's removing all types of comforts that people can find in what is good or what is being good. He's going, no, 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 no. He, 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 here's, here's what I, the only thing that is good is God. And so instantly what Christ is doing in that moment, he's saying, you in and of yourself are not good. And by the way, j just because you might be able to perform, just because you might be able to behave, just because you might have money, just none of those things are going to make you good enough. So Christ, right off the bat, creates a category, and it's this. Only God is good. No person in and of themselves is good, and no person's actions make them good. And no person's possessions make them good. And then Christ goes on in the dialogue in verse 19 through 20. If you look at it with me, church, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not, do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your mother and your father. And he said to him, teacher, I have kept all of these from my youth. You see, right there, Christ is listing some commands. And the man agrees with him. He's going, yes, I've done that. 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 You still see how much he's ingrained in his performance. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Because I've done that. Because I've done that. Because I've done that. And because I've done that. He still is creating this reference that he thinks he has a chance to be good because he has kept the law. But the thing is, Christ just created a, 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 an, an understanding, a, an outlook, and it's this. No one is good except for God himself. And now we're about to see Christ do something that really, up front when you read it, you're like, wow, this looks uncomfortable. This had to have been an uncomfortable conversation. Because you're about to see Christ like a skilled marksman pull out the heart of this man, diagnose the heart of this man and show this man his heart in a way that actually saddens him. Look at it with me. It's, it's found in verses 21. Again, church, look to the word. And Jesus said and looked at him and loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all you have and give it to the poor 
and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by this saying, the rich young man, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Look at the power of these verses right here. Look at Christ's birthing emotion. Because really, right there, you're like, oh man, this guy comes up to Christ. And he's like, what must I do to inherit life? And he's kneeling before Christ. And I'm like, oh, easiest conversion ever. Christ, you have this one in the bag. You can't even blow this. You've got this. And then you read, and now he's walking away sad. He's walking away not choosing Christ. And at aesthetic value, you're like, what? What, what kind of evangelism is that, Christ? Like, you, you could have just e had an easy follower in that moment. But Christ isn't looking for, for Twitter followers. He, he's not some insecure guy trying to get a bigger fan base. He's looking for genuine people who genuinely love him. And Christ sees there's a block between me and this man. And that's why the verse says, out of my love, I'm showing you this block. It said, and Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, and it's out of his love that Christ now starts to have this difficult conversation. Christ's love brings into sharp contrast how this man's heart still doesn't want him. See, Christ's language in this verse is this. You have riches. Yeah, you, you might have kept the law in some ways. But the biggest thing Christ is saying here is this. You have this, and you might have this, but you do not have me. I am not yours, and, you're, and you are not mine. And here's the thing that's blocking us from knowing each other in that way. And, and, and really, he's just using his money to show him his heart. It's not his money that's keeping him from Christ. It's his love of his money that's keeping him from Christ. Your love of money distance, distances you from your love of Christ. And so you see that, that Christ just pushes in and he has this loving conversation. And he's going this, if you and I are ever going to know each other, this has to be addressed. I'm not going to be the Lord of your life and share a throne with your love of money. One thing on a throne. And so Christ says, you have this and you have this, but guess what? You don't have me. Because he says, do this and follow me, which is already showing this man isn't following Christ. And so what's the man's reaction to Christ in this moment? In this moment where his heart is fully known, his heart is fully exposed, Christ perfectly shows him his heart and diagnoses it before him. This man looks at his own heart and he walks away sorrowful. Isn't it, isn't it fascinating? There's a, there's a way that you can be sad that you do not have Christ, but you can still choose the thing that makes you reject Christ. You can have a sorrowful heart that you do not have Christ, but yet your love for the thing that still keeps you from Christ, you still cling on to. There's a way that we could be sad and not know Christ because we still cling on to the thing that stops us from being intimate with Christ. And so in this Christ encounter, 
It doesn't lead to this huge, big, beautiful transformation. In this Christ encounter, it leaves a man walking away sorrowful, sad, and unchanged. And this is, a, this is just a, I've just been, I've been wrestling with it this week. Because it, it, it shows me if Christ's words, if his, his, his actions, his questions, if they're perfect, it, it almost leads you to this conclusion, and it's this. Sometimes if the truth of the gospel is going to be adhered to, some people are going to have to walk away sad. Sometimes people who spend time around Christ, who can spend time on the fringes of church, who can, who can be part of a discipleship model, they could be in small groups, they, they could do different serving events, they can have all this knowledge of a Savior of Christ, they can articulate who Christ is and, and what Christ has done, but really it, 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 they can acknowledge it, but there's ways in which we've never embraced it. There's, there's ways in which the thing that we love more than Christ, we've, we've never laid down in order to embrace Christ. And so we can have a familiarity with God, a familiarity with Christ, a familiarity with the church, and still be saddened and unchanged and untransformed. It, it's fascinating that when he's in the submissive state before Christ, what must I do to inherit the kingdom? And he's, and he's kneeling before God. Out of Christ's love for the man, he pushes in with the question that's really going to expose his heart. He, he, culture's lost all frame of reference for this. We've equated love to making people happy. We've equated love to never disagreeing with people. We say it's unloving to see things different. It's unloving to just not just perfectly embrace. But you start to see that in a perfect example of biblical love, Christ pushes in in a way that really shows the true heart of the man. And the man, unchanged and untransformed, still chooses his own ways instead of Christ. Sometimes having obedience and having biblical love means people are going to walk away from you, reject you, and hate you. I mean, they, they literally did it to Christ. How much more are they going to do it to Christ's followers? You see this time and time again in the New Testament. In Mark 10, you see that the love of money outweighed the love of a Savior. You see in John 12 that there's these people in the synagogue, and they can acknowledge the deity of Christ. They can acknowledge the great things of Christ, but it says out of fear of being thrown out of the synagogue, they choose to deny him. We see that the love of money can be a boundary between us knowing Christ. We can see that the, the need to be accepted by other people can be a huge boundary between Christ. You start to see these obstacles can look different to different people. Just in this passage, it's this man's love of money. And so really, the dialogue keeps going. And really, it, it's, a, it's a scary thought we can acknowledge the deity of Christ. We can acknowledge Him as a Savior. But we can still choose to reject Him and deny Him the place in our heart and lives that He is due. The Gospel has this beautiful, magnificent way of getting to the heart of a man. In this New Testament encounter with Christ, with the rich young man, 
it's fascinating. There's something so small, so subtle also that you could miss it. It's in verses 21 through 22 when Jesus looks at him and loves him and said, you lack one thing. Give all you have to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And verse 22 says, disheartened by this saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. The rule follower just broke a rule. The gospel just showed his heart and played a scenario to show him he is not good and he has not kept the law. It's very subtle. Why? The self-proclaimed rule follower, the guy who's going, I've kept this, I've kept this, I've kept this, and I've kept this, just broke the first commandment. You'll love the Lord your God with all your heart and you'll have no other gods before me. Two God incarnate, like Christ, the Son of God himself, he chose his God of money while denying God to his face. He walked away with a pocket full of his idol and his heart empty of a needing experience with Christ. I think in today's culture and even in Christianity, in the church, we've lost what it means to have a savior. We've lost what it means to even know what a savior is. A lot of us, I don't even think we want a savior. I think what we want is, is some type of life preserver. We want some type of genie in our back pocket that we could just be like, hey, I need you to do this for me and do this for me and do this for me. Amen. Some of us, we, we don't want a savior. We just want to get out of hell jail free card because we went to VBS and we're like, hell, wow, that place sounds like it sucks. Don't want to go there. Don't really want a savior. I just want a little bit of fire insurance. Some of us really, it, it, we, we, we don't want a savior. We just want somebody who's going to make us feel warm and fuzzy and just tell us how great we are. But the word of God just said, there is none great. There is none good except God himself. If we're going to acknowledge Christ as a savior, there's a way that we can acknowledge him as a savior and still walk away sad. Acknowledge him that he is a savior and leave just untransformed. But a biblical response to understanding that he is a savior in that moment, it leads to a bowing of a knee, a, a surrendering of the heart, a dying to self, a dying to the love of money, a dying to the, to the love of, of people's approval. It, it's a laying down of that and a picking up of a cross. Sometimes I think... I don't know if it's just because the church is just an insecure bride and we're just an insecure institution at times, but I think sometimes we make the bar of Christianity so low that we've, we've made Christianity something that costs nothing and is also at the same time the bar is so low that Christianity is powerless. No wonder so many generations are just flocking out of the church right now going, this isn't powerful. This isn't, this isn't what I thought. I thought this, this guy just answers all my prayers and makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. Why? Because we made the bar. That's the point of why Jesus died. And then we come in there and we're like, wow, this isn't powerful. This isn't transformational. Why? Because the heart itself isn't even changed or transformed. Why? Because sometimes churches just don't have that loving conversation that goes that next level to expose our heart 
for it not being good, for it not being wonderful, for it not being something that we should follow. But the gospel would have those loving conversations and pull out our heart in such a way that it would acknowledge what it is, but it would lead to a clinging on to the need of a Savior. And in that moment, we would have our Christ. We would follow our Savior. The greatest treasure this rich man could have had was never in a bank account. It was never in his house. The greatest treasure this man could have ever experienced was the following of Christ. And he exchanged that treasure for a fool's gold of the love of money. Sometimes when I talk to Christians and they're like, man, I really identify with David. And I look at David's life, I'm like, that guy did some pretty cool epic things. You're not him. <laughs> some people, you know, look, look to the certain stories of like, like, and we identify with these just giant epic men of faith who are, by the way, pretty jacked up individuals and they needed a savior as well. But I don't know about you. Last week's sermon, The Woman at the Well, I look at that passage and, and I see so much of myself in her. I'm just stuck in my ways and another day in, in my stuckness and yet Christ meets me. I can relate to that. Or you know what? When, when I'm reading this story of the rich young ruler, man, my heart is being pulled out at the same time. I can so much identify with this rich young ruler where it's like, yeah, I want eternal life. Yes, I want, but, but I don't want it to cost anything. I, I don't want to have to die to myself. Why? Because my heart really loves this thing and this thing and this thing. And, and there's a way that I read this passage and I'm like, oh, rich young ruler, Matt, you are so him. You are so him. But what I love about the gospel, what I love about Christ encounters is in those moments where the Lord is pulling out my heart and saying, Matt, you love this too much. Matt, I will not share the throne of your life with this or with this. What I love about our Savior is sometimes man will bring up things to, in a way to condemn and to shame and to guilt, but Christ is pulling out my heart. He's showing me these areas of my heart, and he's going, and I have a living water for these areas. I have something more. And in this moment, we all, as believers, we have this, we have this opportunity when our heart is fully known and our heart is fully pulled on the table, the cute things and the not-so-cute things. Christ is going, I'm fully out of my love for you pulling your heart on the table and showing you and going, you can choose the love of this and this and this. But out of my love for you, I'm fully exposing your heart. And out of my love for you, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, follow me. Follow me. And what a grace from the Lord that as I go before Christ, as I'm kneeling before Christ going, Lord, I, I, I want you. Lord, I want to follow you. And the Lord is going, there's this in your life, Matt, and there's this in your life, Matt. What I love is in that moment where I could choose the love of those things that block me from Christ, and I can just walk away sorrowful and sad. I can do it. The guy right here in this passage, he did it. The Lord goes, stay in front of me. Don't walk away sorrowful and sad. Take these love of, of these things. Lay it down before me. Let, let's wrestle together. Let me change and transform your heart. Let me change your affections. Let me change your love. Lay it down before me and watch what I'll do. And maybe you're here and you're watching this here today. And you've never known Christ. But man, your heart's just getting pulled on the table right now. And you're like, ah, 
you know what, just like the rich young ruler, I don't know you. I'm not following you. I'm far from you. And, and, and Christ showing you your heart in this moment out of his love for you is going, now lay this down. Don't just acknowledge I'm a savior. Surrender and knee, kneel before me and call upon me and watch what I'll do. And you give your life to Christ. And, and this story in the New Testament keeps going on and says, if you think you've given up anything for me, watch what waits for you in heaven. And maybe you're in a different category and, and you're a Christ follower here today and you're like, gosh, you know what? But just like the rich young ruler, there's this thing that just pops up. It's this love of blank, love of this, a love of that. And man, it just creates such a pet, like just an obstacle for me to just follow Christ because I keep tripping on this thing. The very fact that you know what the thing is, is God's love for you because he's showing it to you. The very fact that you can articulate it, the way that you could see it, is all a grace of the Lord. Why? He's exposing it to you, showing it to you, going, now let's wrestle through this, lay it before me, and let's remove this obstacle so you could have more of me. Isn't that the cool language of the Lord? That out of his love for us, he would have an uncomfortable conversation with us. Why? So we could have more of him and he could have more of us. That is the language of our Savior. That is the language of when we encounter Christ, what he is showing us. And so if the Lord's showing you something here today, as, as this sermon winds up and, 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 and we're about to log off from wherever we are, spend a moment laying these things before the Lord. And instead of walking away defeated, unchanged, instead of walking away saddened, why not walk away changed, transformed, and emboldened because of the gospel of Jesus Christ and out of his great love for you? Church, will you pray for me? Pray with me. God, I thank you. I thank you, God, that you, like a gorgeous surgeon, pull out our hearts and show us our hearts in such a, in such a transformational way that we see it for what it is. And yet you still offer us that living water like the woman at the well. Lord, that, that, that you draw us in and your love for us shows us these things. And Lord, so that, so that we, we see these cheap treasures that we might be following. But your language is something so much more than that. It's here's these cheap treasures so that when you cast them aside, you can experience the greatest treasure of all following me and knowing me as Savior. And Lord, I pray that we would have that boldness as a church. God, that, that we would have these bold conversations, not just with, with others, but Lord, we would have these bold conversations with you. And instead of being saddened, walking away unchanged and untransformed, Lord, we would walk away transformed and emboldened because of how good you are and because of how we encountered you. In Christ's name, amen. Love you, church.